Welcome, welcome, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this, the 21st edition of the Rambling Brews Podcast, captained by me, the main man, Tim. And I tell you, man, last week when I dropped the episode, that was Memorial Day, the unofficial kickoff of the summer season, and this past week has been nothing short of spectacular, man. It's been unreal here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 85 degrees and sunny, just beautiful. You don't get this kind of weather a lot up here in this part of the country, but you got to enjoy it, and you can just tell. When you walk around or you're outside, people are just genuinely in a better mood. And I think a lot of it has to do with the COVID restrictions are starting to loosen up a little bit, at least up north here uh, in Pittsburgh. And it's been cool to see people get out, get, get to see some people you haven't seen for a while. And the best part about all this is the National Hockey League playoffs are still going on and they've been amazing as well. So because um, I haven't really been doing a whole hell of a lot, if you ask, you know, I've been watching hockey. I've been crushing some cold cores lights. And honestly, I restarted uh, watching the Entourage series, um, Entourage, the show that was on, I think it, it, this makes me feel old as hell. Uh, I believe it started in 2005 or 2004, somewhere in there, the story um, with Vince Chase and Johnny Drama, and it's loosely based on Mark Wahlberg's life, and um, you know, it's it's awesome. It's one of my favorite shows, if not my favorite show. I'll have to do a top five list next time I have a guest on um, about top five TV shows, in our opinion. I think that'll draw some, some uh, it might stir the crowd up a little bit, because there's a lot of shows people really like, uh, so it'll be interesting to see that, but I've been watching Entourage, and I actually just finished the series. It only took me like two weeks to watch it over again, uh, just late at night after the hockey games are over, laying in bed, you know, watching, watching Entourage, and I just have to say, like, the first five or six, if you haven't seen it, it's amazing. I don't know what you've been doing the last, whatever, 16 years, but the first, like, five or six seasons are amazing. It's like when the boys are first getting to L.A., um, they're getting Vince's career going. It's just funny, and, you know, they're chasing women, they're partying, all this stuff. Just, like, what you would do as a as an actor in Hollywood, um, you know, on the come up, and you got your boys with you and stuff like that and your friends and all that, so it's really interesting, and then obviously... Like every show, you know, it, it has to end, but like the seventh season, so the second to last season is like whenever they change everything. It's like not funny anymore. Um, Vince, the, the main character, the movie star, he ends up going on like a drug bender. And then his agent, Ari Gold, who's unreal, Jeremy Piven, um, probably the best character in the show, him and Johnny Drama, who's played by Kevin Dillon, if you don't know. But it's just like they, he gets divorced from his wife or he's going to get divorced from his wife. And it's just it almost ruined it for me. Like the whole last season or two, you don't really laugh too much. And that's what, you know, was, was so awesome about the show, but still, I love it. I uh, probably go back and rewatch it about once or twice a year, honestly. And people will probably hear that and they'll laugh and they'll be like, Oh, that's why you don't watch any movies or you don't watch any new shows. Well, yeah, I have what I like. And I've said that on, you know, one of the first two episodes, I think, um, of this podcast that I like what I like. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So sometimes I just get in the mood to go back and watch Entourage, and that's exactly what I did. So like I said, just chugging beers. And speaking of that, another day, another pod, another cold Coors Light. And with that being said, like I mentioned in the intro, the NHL playoffs have been unreal. Um, Last Monday, whenever I dropped the episode that night, after the episode dropped, the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs played Game 7 at Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And I'm sure a lot of Leafs fans 
would just love to forget that night because wouldn't you know who won the pony? The Montreal Canadiens complete the comeback. They were down 3-1 in the series. They come back and they win Game 7 on the road. I believe the final score was 3-1. It was a pretty convincing 3-1. They dominated the whole game. And the Toronto Maple Leafs, they still have not won a playoff series since 2004. I don't know the exact date, but I believe by the time you're hearing this podcast, the Toronto Maple Leafs will have the longest Stanley Cup drought in NHL history as they have not won a Stanley Cup since 1967. And who the player that's taking the brunt of the blame is Mitch Marner. This guy, he's making $10.9 million a year. If you remember a couple years ago, whenever he was a restricted free agent, he held out. He missed a part of the season, I believe. Um, he held out. He wanted more money. His dad was all in the news saying he wants to be paid as much as um, Austin Matthews is, or he was allegedly saying that. I don't think he ever came out you know, on the news or in sports um, shows or anything like that and said it, but behind closed doors, that's what was reported as being said, that Mitch Marner's dad wanted him to be the highest paid player. He deserved it. And he's a great player. He had a great regular season. Don't get me wrong. But Mitch Marner, mind you, $10.9 million, has not scored a goal, not one, in his last 18 playoff games. Let me give that to you one more time. This guy, one of the brightest young stars in the NHL. I can't knock him for that. He's being paid $10.9 million a year. He has zero, exactly zero. He has as many goals as I do sitting on my couch right now recording this podcast in his last 18 playoff games. That's a joke. You just can't have that if you're Kyle Dubas, the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, or if you're a Maple Leafs fan. In the series, also, Austin Matthews, he won the Rocket Richard this year, most goals in the league. He only had one goal, four assists in seven games. Really didn't show up. Between those two, it's tough for the Maple Leafs to win. And then William Nylander. William Nylander, everybody wanted to run this guy out of town because he also held out a year prior to Mitch Marner. And he got, I think, $7.8 million or just, no, I think he might have got right under $7 million, which looks like a steal right now. This guy had five goals, three assists in seven games. He really pulled his weight. And Maple Leafs fans have done a complete 180 on William Nylander because they wanted to get rid of him before you know, the last couple of years when they would lose in the first round because they would say, oh, we have too much salary. We have too much, you know, too much uh, salary or too high of a cap hit to win. And we have so much money invested in these three or four guys that they would just blame it on Nylander. Meanwhile, he's probably been the most consistent player in the playoffs the last couple of years. Uh, but at any rate, he had a great playoff. And it's just, it's just crazy. I mean, the Toronto Maple Leafs fans, they're insane already, but they were burning jerseys. I saw people were burning Doug Gilmore jerseys. The guy hasn't played since the early 90s or whatever it was. Why would you burn Doug Gilmore's jersey? I never quite understood the idea of burning a jersey. Do you really think, like, if you're burning Mitch Marner's jersey, do you think you're that important that Mitch Marner actually gives a shit? They only get like 10 cents out of that anyways. You spent $260 probably if it's authentic, and who knows what the hell it costs up in Canada. So you look like an idiot, period. Because you'll be the same guy that's banging on the glass next year, screaming for the Maple Leafs when Mitch Marner has a hell of a season, and you'll be right back on the bandwagon. So it's just a reactionary douchebag move by these Maple Leafs fans. But they're honestly in cap hell, too. Like They did not need to sign John Tavares. They signed him a couple years ago. He's the Toronto boy. He had the picture on his Twitter of him in the Toronto Maple Leafs pajamas when he was a kid, sleeping on the Maple Leafs pillow, and it was all fun and games and all great. They didn't need that. They had Austin Matthews. 
down the middle already. They didn't need another, and mind you, he's making 11 sheets a year. Matthews is making like 11.3434 for his number, being 34. They didn't need John Tavares, and now you're seeing the problems. Even though John Tavares, we talked about... um, you know, on previous episodes that he got injured earlier in the series on that unfortunate accident with Corey Perry. He didn't play, but I, even if he did play, they're just not built. They're not built to beat a team like Montreal that just grinds. They muck it up. They play hard. They play as a unit. They're very difficult to play against. Well coached. Uh, Dominique Desharma. What a what a coaching job. I'm probably butchering that French name, so sorry about that, but what an outstanding he's, uh, job he's done since he took over for Claude Julien this year and you know, it's it, you got to tip your cap to Montreal. I don't want to bury Toronto the whole time because Montreal, we'll get to in a second, is really having a hell of a second round series. But the Maple Leafs, they've got big question marks. I don't know what the hell they're going to do. Um, like I said, they have guys making so much money. And I saw a stat that said after the first round of the playoffs, 17 of the 18 highest paid players in the National Hockey League were out. I'm sure the NHL does not like that. They, they have their marquee team in Canada, Toronto, done. Sidney Crosby, done. Alex Ovechkin, done. Connor McDavid, done. Austin Matthews, done. Marner, done. Like, it can't be good for the league. In the league's eyes, it just shows the parity of the NHL. And there's a lot of young, great players in the NHL and other cities. You look at like guys like Sebastian Ajo in Carolina, a stud. But they don't really get the they don't get the credit from the mainstream media because they're not a big market. They're but they're really fun to watch. We'll talk about them playing against Tampa, and that series has been an electric factory. But it, it's it's a time where you can say like, oh, the league's probably upset, or it sucks that these guys aren't in it, or you know, because the NHL they always want to have like a you know an LA team or Chicago and New York, you know, Toronto or something big market team to to be in the playoffs or be in the Stanley Cup final. And a lot of those major teams and major guys are knocked out. It's pretty crazy. And the uh, the one guy that's – there's only been one player in NHL history to win a playoff series when he's got a cap hit, a salary cap hit, meaning he makes that amount per year on the team's books, over $10 million. So a double-digit cap hit. The only player is Carey Price. And he's the goaltender for the Montreal Canadiens, which a couple episodes ago I was shitting on that I thought he was overrated. He's done nothing but shut me up and shut everybody else up. He's been unbelievable um, this whole year, basically. He was banged up a little bit, but this whole playoff year, I should say. And I think we got to get right into that, um, you know, Jets and uh, Montreal series. Like I talked about Montreal, they're on an absolute heater. I'm recording this Sunday night, uh, so a day later than normal. But they just beat the Winnipeg Jets for the third straight time. Um, at home, so they're up 3-0 in the series. Now, mind you, they won three straight against Toronto to close out the first round series. So they're on a six-game win streak right now and are showing no signs of slowing down. They won tonight five to one. Um, Carey Price has just been out of this world. You can't beat them. You really can't. I mean, you have to have a tip, like a a crazy bounce or something. But the way that how structured they play and how tuned in he is and focused right now, he's playing huge in the net. He's out on the top of his crease. He's taking away all the angles. He's just playing unbelievable and showing what Carey Price used to do and why um, people think he's the, the number one goalie in the NHL. And honestly, it's hard to argue with it right now. He's he's performing well on the biggest stage. And it's crazy because that Winnipeg team, they swept Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and the Oilers. And they're just getting lit up. I mean, Connor Hellebuck, the goaltender for Winnipeg, I thought he would bounce back and have a better playoff than he had in the regular season. 
but this guy's going to need sunscreen on his neck as much as the goal lights on behind him. It's unbelievable, you know, how how poor this team's playing right now, and they really can't get anything going. In Game Three, I mean. Tonight, when I'm talking about whenever uh, Montreal took a 3-0 series lead, you could see the frustration on their faces for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois taking stupid penalties, scrums after every whistle, just dumb penalties at the end of the game. Game four, I believe, is uh, Monday night, so tomorrow night when you guys are hearing this. So back-to-back, potentially for Montreal to close out the series. Um, so it it's just been Montreal's just putting on a clinic. And I think I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about, I believe it was game one, the big controversy in the NHL this week. Mark Shifley, one of the best players for the Winnipeg Jets, if not their best player. Late in game one, it's a 4-3 score. The Jets have a 6-on-5 because they pulled Connor Hellebuck, their goaltender. They've got a 6-on-5 situation. They're trying to tie the game and send it to overtime. They're down one and about a hair over a minute left to go. I'll set the scene for you guys. So Montreal gets the puck. They ice it. They shoot it all the way down the length of the ice. So if Winnipeg is the first team back to get it, they'll blow a whistle and the puck will come back to the offensive zone. And that's great for Winnipeg. They're a six on five situation. They got an extra guy out there with an offensive zone face off, you know, about a minute to go. But Jake Evans, young player for the Montreal Canadiens, what's he do? He gets on his horse. He hustles his bag off. He skates all the way down the ice. He's a right-handed player. He's coming down the left side of the ice. So if you're, if you're on the ice, say you're at center ice and you're looking at the Winnipeg goal, he's on the left side of the goal. And the puck's sitting behind the net, so in the corner a little bit. So Jake Evans, he's skating. He's going to beat the uh, win- the closest Winnipeg Jets player to the faceoff circles to negate the icing, so there won't be a whistle. So that's a great play. But he's got a little bit of you know he's got a lot of steam, and he's got a p- potential chance to you know grab the puck and stuff it in the empty net, and then the game's over. It's five three at that point. So he decides he's going to go for it. Right, he gets the puck. Like I said, he's a right-handed player, so he's coming around on his backhand to try to stuff in a a wraparound goal. And people can say, you know, it's a wraparound goal in an empty net. Yeah, that's tough, but you also have to know that somebody's going to hit you, and he's doing it on his backhand. So it was a hell of a play by Jake Evans. But Mark Shifley, he had skated about 180, 190 feet from the you know his own or uh, Montreal's goal line all the way down the ice. He gets to the blue line closest to the Winnipeg goal, and he kind of slow. I don't want to say he slows down, but he quits striding. And then he picks up a little bit of steam as he gets close to the net. Just as Jake Evans is coming around the goal, Jake Evans stuffs the puck in the net. And then he gets blown the fuck up. Just an absolute train wreck hit by Mark Shifley. Destroyed him. And obviously all hell breaks loose after that. I mean, there was fights and all kind of stuff. People pushing and shoving. Everybody wants to get at Mark Shifley. And meanwhile, Jake Evans, he was knocked out in the air. And he went... He flipped basically all the way around and then landed like right on his head, basically on the ice. And he's knocked out, appears to be knocked out cold off the, uh, the initial hit and great job. Tip your cap and swig a beer for Nick Ehlers, Nikolai Ehlers. What a, what a great guy, great player. He plays for the jets, but he actually, while that whole scrum's going on, Jake Evans is just laying there on the ice under all these bodies and skates. And Nick Ehlers is kind of shielding everybody away to, you know, to allow the trainers and stuff to come out and see if this guy's okay. I mean, it's pretty fucking scary, this dude. He got rocked. So before I get into everything after that, you know, swig a beer for Nick Ehlers. What a guy. So they bring the stretcher out. He's on the ice about 10 minutes or so. They bring the stretcher out. Scary stuff. He gets stretchered off. Um, I heard he actually did not go to the hospital. He's, he was okay. He had a concussion. 
and maybe a little bit, you know, some other stuff. I haven't seen the full update um, from Montreal after that. But Mark Shifley got a game misconduct and a five-minute penalty for charging, I believe was the call. So I'm going to read the rule book. Rule 42.1, charging shall mean the actions of a player who, as a result of distance traveled, shall violently check an opponent in any manner. A charge may be the result of a check into the boards, into the goal frame, or in open ice. So with that being said, with the rule, the Department of Player Safety had basically a wide latitude of what they could do because it, it certainly was a charge uh, just based on the rule book. I mean, he skated 190 feet. Now, I would argue that he was back checking. It's not like he went out of his way. You've seen a play, and not to keep piling on this jabroni, but Tom Wilson in the Bruins series in round one, he went way out of his way, and I think he hit maybe Jake DeBrusque or Craig Smith, somebody on the Bruins. He went way out of his way about 60 feet and put, and you, you probably saw it all over Twitter and all over social media. He nailed a guy, and the guy flipped over the boards, and everybody's like, yay, Tom Wilson, what a hit, what a hit. You know, if that guy gets hurt on that, it's a very similar play to this, in my opinion. But in this case, Shrifley didn't change his direction or change his path. He was back-checking, and he basically decided, you know what, I'm not going to get there in time to make a play, so I'm just going to make this dude pay for it, basically. And I didn't think the hit was dirty, per se, because I thought he got him, and I think even the NHL said that the principal point of contact was the chest. Obviously, got a little bit of his shoulder up into his chin, and it wasn't late. It wasn't late at all. It was like a millisecond after the puck had left Jake Evans' stick. And I saw people online saying, well, he could have played a, played the puck. He could have made a play on the puck. I don't buy that either because the puck was like in the crease when he got there. What's he going to do? Try to He's going to poke check it probably right in his own fucking net. Or, you know, Jake Evans is still going to be able to stuff it in. So I, I understand. I don't think it was a dirty hit. I think it was an unnecessary hit. Um, and obviously... Everybody online wanted Shifley's head. I mean, people were just like, this guy, what a scumbag. And, you know, just horrible things being said about this guy. Even so, you know, after um, he talked about it a couple days later with the media and he had said like his family had been receiving messages and bully, um, you know, bullying tactics and death threats and stuff like that. Just his family. They have nothing to do with this. It's very disheartening. And it's these keyboard warriors getting online, chirping at Mark Shifley's fucking parents and these guys, these people have nothing to do with it. And Mark Shifley has, has no history of being dirty. Um, even Brendan Gallagher, you know, a rat. He's a complete rat, but he's a good player. He plays for Montreal. He, he was talking to the uh, whoever did the game. I don't know if it was, um, you know, whoever did it for NBC. After the game, they put the headset on. They come out and they talk to the to the um, reporter there. He basically said, hey, I know Shifley. Uh, he knows better than that. And, like, even... Right after it happened, you could tell Shifley like thought, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that, and you, he he showed a little bit of remorse there. But at the end of the day, I don't think it was such a bad hit. And was it unnecessary? Yes. Was it dirty? I don't think so. And people can argue with me all day. Um, I think the result obviously is bad, and you know, I want to make sure I get out there and say that I hope Jake Evans is okay, has a full recovery. He's a young player in the NHL, and I'm not sure like these guys really understand the way that the way the game changes in the playoffs. And by that, I mean in the regular season, Mark Shifley probably doesn't even try to back check that hard or he's not throwing that hit. Guys are just meaner. They're angrier. There's, you know, seven game series at times you're playing the same team a couple days in a row. I mean, this whole season basically 
you know, they've been playing these same teams and, but honestly, in typical years, like that stuff doesn't happen in the regular season. But I think, you know, he's got to keep his head up too. Like, I'm not, I don't want to sound, and I hate when people say, well, you're victim blaming. Well, at some point though, the onus has to also fall on the player that's getting hit too. I think both can be wrong. Like he, he can't just come winding around the net and thinking he's not going to get hit. You got to protect yourself. Cause last year he got blown up by Jake Muzzin, the same guy, Jake Muzzin, a big stud, you know, defensive defenseman for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And maybe it's just like, uh, it's not like a welcome to the NHL thing, but you know, you got to know better than that. You got to figure in the playoffs. I got a chance to ice the game. I'm going to the net. That's a dirty area, whether it's an empty net or not, you're going to take a shot. And he came around head down completely. He, whenever he was skating in, he never even turned his head and looked back to see if anybody was back checking. He had tunnel vision on that goal. And at some point I can respect that because he wants to score. But you also got to be aware of your surroundings. So I think both can be wrong. I think Jake Evans has to do a better job of keeping his head up, keeping his head on a swivel, protecting himself. And Mark Streifley, you know, not necessarily a, a good hit. I mean, he, it's unnecessary and probably shouldn't have done it. Um, the Department of Player Safety seemed to disagree with my take. And there was a lot of people. I mean, it was a very polarizing discussion online where there was people in three different camps, basically. You're in the camp of, you know, 30 years ago, that was a good hit. Or you're in the camp of, yeah, 30 years ago, that was a good hit, but now it needs to be taken out of the game. Or you're in the other camp of saying, like, you know, this guy needs to be completely suspended for 20 games. I'm, some people were saying he should be suspended 20 games. Uh, that's a joke. The Department of Player Safety came out and gave him a four-game suspension, which I think is ludicrous for this. Four games? So remember a couple episodes ago I told you the NHL treats playoff games like three regular season games. So you're telling me that that hit, which really was only a charge, it wasn't a, he didn't leave his feet, he didn't make principal point of contact with the head, it was really a charge, an unnecessary hit, is a 12-game suspension? The equivalent of a 12-game suspension? I mean, we talked about this before, but Tom Wilson was ragdolling everybody. He almost killed Panarin on the ice, and he got nothing. So, like, and even earlier in the uh, the other series, the Avalanche and the Golden Knights, Ryan Reeves just lost his wires crossed, and I think he pulled someone's hair out, and he was just beating the shit out of somebody the other night, and I think he got two games. Mark Shifley, remember, he's not a repeat offender. He's never been suspended. I don't believe he's ever been fined. So, like, I just thought it was a little bit harsh. And I thought, uh, so there's a Pittsburgh sports writer, Dejan Kovacevic, and a lot of people tend to disagree with his takes. And, you know, he's polarizing in his own right in terms of Pittsburgh media. But I thought he had a great tweet. He said, quote, I don't take much issue with Mark Shifley's suspension in isolation. But never has it been more apparent that George Peros has a hilarious double standard for his hair-clumping, face-smashing enforcer buddies. The Rangers were right. He needs to go. He's unfit for the job. End quote. So, I, or end tweet, I should say. It like He's exactly right to me. It makes no sense why these goons get away with everything. But Shifley gets the book thrown at him, which basically is going to cost him the series. I told you they're down 3-0. There's no way... He's coming back in the series unless the Jets go on an absolute heater. And even after the, the game, after game one, when it happened, Joel Edmondson was saying, he's a defenseman for the Canadians. He was saying, 
if Shifley gets back in this series, we're going to make, you know, every game hell for him. And I guarantee the NHL code, he'll have to drop the gloves next time he plays Montreal next year, um, or maybe this year in the playoffs if, if miracles happen with the Jets coming back. But, you know, I, I just thought it was four games in the playoffs for that. I, there's been a lot worse that got, you know, suspended less. And I think... Like, I don't necessarily have an issue with the suspension itself, like I said, uh, or like Dejan said. Like, the, the number of games. I think it's excessive, yes. I think it's ludicrous, but I understand it. But they need to be more consistent. Like, how can something that's similar get nothing, like that Tom Wilson charge, because the guy didn't get hit, or didn't get hurt, I should say. If Jake Evans gets up, and he, he takes that hit, he gets up, and he's fucking celebrating... We're not even having this conversation. It, he wasn't getting suspended. It's all based on the result. The result looks horrible. And obviously, again, I hope that Jake Evans is okay. You know, swig a beer for him for taking the hit to make the play because that's got to feel good. Obviously, you don't want to get blown up and knocked out of the series and potentially out for the season. And you don't want to get a conky. But, man, to score, it's got to feel good that the puck went in. He iced the game. So swig a beer for him. And the last thing I'll say on that series is Cole Caulfield, the young American phenom uh, prospect. He plays for Montreal, is having a hell of a series against the Jets. He had a great first-round series against Toronto as well. He missed it. I think he was scratched a couple games, but he's a young player, and he's making the most of his opportunities, and his future is bright as hell in uh, in Montreal. So swig a beer for him too because Cole Caulfield, man, the Americans are coming. The Americans are coming, and they're going to be gold medal hunting here in the Olympics coming up in a couple years. I think it might be next year, actually, the the Olympics, the, the uh, Winter Olympics, but I digress from that. Switching gears, I want to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche. This series has been everything. Everybody that's watched hockey or covers hockey or is a fan or listens to this podcast or whatever the case is, everybody wanted to see this series, and it hasn't disappointed at all. The big thing for me was game one. Pete DeBoer, the head coach for the Vegas Golden Knights, he decided to start Robin Leonard over Marc-Andre Fleury. Now, Marc-Andre Fleury had played great in the first round. He's up for the Vezina Trophy, the best goaltender in the NHL this year. They just announced that this past week, and I predicted that as well, and I believe he's going to win it. If not, maybe for uh, Andre Vasilevsky in Tampa Bay, but at any rate, unbelievable season for Marc-Andre Fleury, and he won Game 7. They had a, they had a seven-game series against the Minnesota Wild, and he won Game 7 at home, played great, and they had a day or so rest uh, before they had to play game one against Colorado. Now, the only thing I can think of is Pete DeBoer, the coach. He's thinking, hey, we're in, a, we're in a world of trouble here because Colorado swept their first round series with St. Louis and they've just been sitting at home resting, getting healthy. And maybe we just give Mark Andre a little bit more rest and we start Robin Leonard in game one. And if he wins, he wins. If not, you know, no worries. We just got to steal one on the first two on the road. That's the only lo- logical thing I can think of. But I'm not sure that an NHL coach would think like that. But it just makes no sense why they wouldn't go with Marc-Andre. Because Robin Leonard, he's been in and out of the lineup. He's been up and down. He's a great guy, great goaltender. But he hasn't been nearly as consistent as Marc-Andre Fleury has been this year. And nearly as healthy either. But they go with Leonard in game one. And you know I'm an Avalanche fan in terms of that's my mistress team. So I'm pumped. Because the first thing I see early in the first period is Miko Rantanen, a stud, come buzzing down the right wing backhand short side shelf and Robin Leonard looks like he's not anywhere focused on the game and 
boy, if you're if you were a Vegas Golden Knights fan at that point, you're thinking, holy shit, this might be a long night because they were getting chance after chance. And they started filling the net. They won seven to one. Absolutely shit pumped them. Uh, Robin Leonard was in for all seven. Not really any point in switching goalies if you're going to go back to Mark Andre in game two. You just chalk that up as a you know chalk it up as an L, and then move on to game two. You just forget about it. And uh, that's what they did. So game two, they came out. They started Mark Andre Fleury. Colorado still got the win in that game. I believe it was three two, and then. They went back to Vegas for game three and Vegas ended up winning that game as well. So or that game, so their first win. So it's a two one series lead um, as I'm recording this right now for the Colorado Avalanche. But they actually are playing right now as I'm recording on Sunday, as I mentioned. And at the end of the second period, it's three to one Golden Knights. So they're they look like they're um, poised to tie this series at two. And man, I cannot wait to see what that uh, best of three for the uh, a trip to the conference final is going to look like between those two teams. And it's pretty crazy because Vegas, I mean, tonight they're out shooting the Avalanche 24 to 14. I don't think is the of the Vegas Golden Knights is some like offensive juggernaut. They're a pretty good team. They've got good defense, they're structured. They've got some scorers, don't get me wrong. But Colorado is loaded with offensive talent. They're getting outshot tonight 24-14 at the end of the second. In game 3, they got outshot 43 to 20 by Vegas. In game two, they got outshot 41 to 25. So they've been getting outshot left and right. Now, with Colorado having two wins, obviously one was against Leonard. And then, you know, you, you gotta figure Flurry, you gotta you gotta get some saves. If if your team's only giving out 25 shots and you're and they're getting 40 shots and you're losing games, that that's not good. But um we'll see how it plays out. I can't wait to watch that you know, and, and see how this game four ends here. But it does look like the Vegas Golden Knights are probably going to hold on for a win. But, you know, we'll see what happens when this podcast comes out because Colorado, they're one of the teams that can just rail off three or four goals in short order and win the game. So, um, you know, either way, it's going to be an entertaining finish to that series. So swig a beer for the Colorado Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights for just being as entertaining as hell. Pivoting over to another unbelievable series. This series has been so entertaining. The Tampa Bay Lightning and the Carolina Hurricanes. And you might look at it and say, how is it such a good series? I mean, Tampa Bay's up three games to one. This series is almost over. You can flip Carolina over. They're all done on this side. But that hasn't really been the case. It's been really fun hockey to watch. Um, in Game 4 especially. So it was 2-1 Tampa. They were in Tampa for Game 4. Uh, shout out to my boy Dustin. He was at the game. Um, he wasn't going full Yinzer though. I saw on Instagram, he was wearing a Tampa Bay lightning shirt, but I'll let that one slide. But at, at any rate, man, it, it was so fun to watch. I mean, I think the, the score was one, nothing after the uh, first period. Then in the second period, there were eight goals scored combined. <laughs> like defense just went out the window. It was crazy. And, and, uh, the final score ended up being Tampa Bay winning at six, four and Nikita Kucherov. What can you say about this guy? I mean, he has 17 points in 10 games in the playoffs. He missed every game this year because um, he was injured, and then the the Lightning didn't have the cap space, so they kept him out. And he comes back and hasn't missed a beat. He's got 17 points, like I said, in 10 games. Their power play, I think, was three for six in game four. I mean, you can't take stupid penalties. And one of the penalties that wasn't even called right off the bat uh, early in the first period, Brady Shea, he's the guy, if you don't know, he's the guy, if you've seen the SNL with Chance the Rapper, where he's like doing the uh, the the ringside like commentating or whatever, <laughs> and he's he's like going to talk to Brady Shea, who at the time played for the Rangers, 
And he's like, we're talking here to Brady. And he like, tries to look at his jersey and his name's spelled S-K-J-E-I. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Chance the Rapper's like, that's an S, a K, and a J. Yeah, I'm not even going to try that one. That's who this is, Brady Shea. Uh, he high-stick Kucherov, damn near knocked his fucking helmet off. And right in front of the referee, no arm goes up for the ref, so he's not going to call it. But everybody in the arena, I'm sure, thought he was going to call it. And even the announcers and people watching on TV thought they were going to call it. So much show, so much so that Brady Shea thought he was getting a penalty. He just skated over to the box. He was sitting in the box. And then the ref went over and was like, what are you in the box for? And like he didn't even realize they didn't call it. And obviously the, <laughs> the lightning coach, John Cooper, was going bananas. And he's yelling and all this stuff. And, you know, this, it was, I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen a player just willingly go in the box and they didn't even call a penalty. And then they let him out of the box. John Cooper's on the bench. He's like, he's already in the box. He's already in the box. He knows it's a penalty, but they didn't call it. And lucky for Carolina because Tampa Bay probably would have just filled the net with another power play goal. Um, it's just been unbelievable to watch. This series has been so fun. I mean, they're going back to Raleigh at PNC Arena for game five. In Carolina, and that place will be rocking. They're gonna have a packed house, and you never know what could happen. You never know what could happen. And and one player for Carolina I wanted to point out before we move on is Jordan Stahl. He's their captain. He left Pittsburgh uh, many years ago to go down there and play with his brother Eric Stahl, who was playing there at the time, who now plays for the Montreal Canadiens, and he's played for a couple of teams in between there. But it seems like Stahl, Jordan Stahl, that is, is having a bit of a career resurgence. Um, just playing great hockey. It's fun to see he's getting overtime goals. He's chipping in on the score sheet, just playing well, a great leader. So, you know, swig a beer for Jordan Stahl. It'd be cool to see him advance through uh, to the next round um, and, and possibly, you know, win some hardware with the Carolina Hurricanes. And the last series going on right now has just been a gong show. The Boston Bruins and the New York Islanders. Um, some of these games have just been an absolute war. And it's been fun to watch. Obviously, I'm rooting. I never thought in my life I would ever root for Boston. And I know some people will say, "Well, I'd like to see. I'd like to see the Islanders win because they beat the Penguins, so it'll make me feel better if you know the Islanders advance or they go to the Stanley Cup final or whatever." Nah, fuck that. Whatever team beats the Penguins, I want them to get shit pumped the next round. Yeah, it makes the Penguins look bad. But at the end of the day, I thought the Penguins were the better team. I don't want to rehash that. They probably could have won the series. And you're even seeing that now a little bit in this Boston and New York Islanders series, which right now, currently, as I'm recording, is tied 2-2. They'll play game five on Monday night. Actually, I believe it's Tuesday night. I think they have a two-day break. And that's going to be a hell of a finish there. The best of three to go to the conference final. And um, just like... Barry Trotz, this guy is just such an unbelievable coach. I've talked about it over and over and again, but I wanted to mention one comparison. So somebody asked him, one of the reporters asked him, you know, you guys beat the Penguins. You held the Sidney Crosby line in check for the most part in the first round. And how do you plan to do it against the perfection line? They call it in Boston with uh, Patrice Bergeron centering Brad Marchand and David Pasternak. That line is unreal. And basically, I agree with what Barry Trotz said. He came out and he said, you know, this line in Boston is unbelievable. You've got three great players, you know, some, some Hall of Fame level players. And in Pittsburgh, you've got one great player and two good players. And I couldn't agree with that more. You know, you got Sidney Crosby, all-timer, top five player ever, in my opinion. You know, and he, he's got Jake Gensel as a goal scorer. And he's got Brian Russ, who works hard. And they contribute. Don't get me wrong. I love them playing together, but... 
it's not exactly like they're shutting down, you know, Pasternak, Bergeron, and Marchand. And shortly after he said that, game one of the series, uh, David Pasternak had a hat trick. So he obviously, <laughs> they haven't kept them in check. That line's been great. Um, Matt Barzell has really picked up his play the last couple games. He had a rough series against Pittsburgh, uh, was getting chances, wasn't producing. And it's funny, I was thinking about like the, the notes for the podcast yesterday while I was watching the game, game four, which the Islanders won. And I'm thinking, man, Matt Barzell, he's got to be one of the players in the league that like is so electric, but he just doesn't finish. Like he, he, he winds it up. He gets so many chances, but he just can't finish. And I'm not saying he's, he's a bad player. He can't finish as a player. It's just like he's snake bit, you know, recently. And then he immediately scores the goal uh, to win the game, basically, for the Islanders. And he's had, I believe, three or four goals in his last two games. He's playing great. Uh, so that's good news if you're a New York Islanders fan and bad news for the Boston Bruins. But, again, this is going to be a great best of three here to advance to the conference final. And the matchups actually are already set since Toronto lost. I believe if Montreal holds on to their series win, I guess it doesn't matter. Whoever wins the series between the Winnipeg Jets and the Montreal Canadiens will play the winner of the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche. That's set. And then obviously the winner of the Boston Bruins and the New York Islanders will play the winner of the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Carolina Hurricanes. So kind of like a, I guess if Winnipeg were to win, it would be like a traditional West matchup for the conference final and the traditional East matchup for the conference final. But you know what scares me? And I think the NHL probably would love it. Um, but uh, there's a potential I think it's a it's a long shot, but there's a potential for a Montreal Boston Stanley Cup final. And that would be unbelievable because those two teams absolutely hate each other. They've hated each other since the inception of the NHL. So it, it's gonna be awesome to see. But honestly, I don't think whoever wins that series, and it looks like Montreal is gonna win against the Jets, as I mentioned, I think they're gonna run into an absolute buzzsaw of either Vegas or Colorado. Um, so what I'm really hoping for just from a fan perspective is Colorado, Tampa. I love to watch those two juggernauts go at it. Those offensive, you know, just, it reminds me a lot of the Penguins teams in 2016. Um, the Penguin, that team, when they played, uh, Tampa in the conference final, it went seven games and what a series. I mean, just back and forth, so much fun to watch, just high skill, high end players, just playing the game of hockey at its finest. And I, I'm hoping for that just as a, as a fan and, um, you know, it, it, it would be awesome to watch. So let's let's cross our fingers and hope for that. Um, I got to take a swig of beer. I actually got to crack one here. Giving out too many swigs this week. A couple stories I wanted to talk about from around the NHL and around the sports world. Uh, but first, we'll stick with the NHL. The Canadian federal government has approved a travel exemption for the final two rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs. It would allow the NHL teams to cross the Canadian-U.S. border without quarantining. They'll still be subject to the, the health measures, but I think a lot of the guys have gotten the COVID vaccine, um, so they probably won't have to deal too much with that. Still have daily tests and, and things like that, I believe. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, they won't be allowed to do is whatever they could do in their home city and whatever they could do in the United States as far as going out to dinners and stuff like that on the road, but... Um, because in, in Canada, you see, I think Montreal has the most fans that are allowed in the building, and that was 2,500. And you look at Vegas, 100% capacity. You look at Boston, 100% capacity. I think Tampa had like 85% capacity. So just pretty crazy 
the difference between the two countries, but um, it's definitely a home ice advantage for the teams in, in the United States to have a full barn to play in front of. Uh, but but awesome that they're able to go to their home city, the Canadian teams, and, and they'll be able to play in their home city for the uh, conference final and, and potentially the Stanley Cup final because it would suck if like those teams had to come and play in a, in just a random team's barn for the the series. You know, it's just like you're out of your comfort zone. You don't have your locker room. It, it would be a big disadvantage in my opinion. Um, so it's good to see that the Canadian government has granted that exemption. Um, Evgeny Malkin, I talked about uh, a couple episodes ago when the Penguins ended up losing. I think it was last week, actually, when they ended up losing in the first round. But uh, it came out that Evgeny Malkin had successful successful knee surgery uh, this past week. And he was playing. I'm not sure exactly what was torn or what was wrong, but it explains that because he, he banged up his knee earlier in the season. He missed a, a number of games with that. And then he came back um, and... and Late in the season, he he heard it again, and he missed the first couple games of the series against the Islanders. Uh, he still had five points, I believe, in four games, so playing pretty well. Obviously, you would. I, I I'm thinking about what would happen if the Penguins would have advanced and potentially made a long run. You know how that would have impacted their team if he's, you know, playing on you know one leg essentially. So, um, you know, hopefully. Malkin gets gets uh, well soon. They did mention he won't make training camp. He won't be ready for training camp. So that definitely hurts him because if you remember a couple years ago, he had like a new training regimen. Um, he came into camp healthy, playing well. He ended up scoring 98 points that year. Played great. One of his best years of his career. And, um, you know, the year prior to that, the big thing was, you know, he didn't get much of a camp. Even this year, he didn't get much of a camp, you know, because of everything that happened with COVID. And you just feel for the guy and you feel for the Penguins, the logo, because, Malkin coming in, not having a full uh, summer to be able to train, just going to be rehabbing all summer. He's not going to be able to train like he normally would. Um, not going to get a camp if there's any potential new teammates, new line mates, just getting back in the groove of things. So hopefully next year everything's back to normal in terms of a regular schedule. And, you know, if he has to miss some time and he's not ready for opening night, you know, it's going to be a, a an 82-game season that he can work out the kinks uh, the first, you know, 20 or so games. And, and get back to the Malkin that we, we need him to be back to if you're a Penguin fan. But um, it's just it's tough news. It's tough news for the Penguins when, when, you know, Malkin entering the last year of his contract. And tough news for him. Like I said, entering the last year of his contract, not going to have a training camp, potentially does not bode well for him having a successful season. So we'll see how it plays out. But get well soon to Evgeny Malkin. Uh, last week I talked about Seth Jones, the defenseman for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Just an absolute beast. And he, I mean, he's so good. And nobody wants to play in Columbus. Uh, Elliot Friedman in Canada, he's one of the best uh, beat or best hockey journalists in the game. He mentioned that uh, Seth Jones would like to play for Colorado. Fuck, who wouldn't? Or uh, Dallas. And Dallas is pretty good. They've got some good young defensemen as well with Miro Heskinen and John Klingberg and Essa Lindell. They're, they're pretty loaded on the back end as well. But Seth Jones would definitely help that group. You wonder what those two teams would have to give up for him if they trade him now, but they're going to, they're pretty much Columbus's, their hands are tied because Seth Jones already came out and said, you know what? I'm not, I don't want to sign an extension here. So they got one year left with him basically. Uh, but Colorado, he grew up in Colorado. I believe his dad played in the NBA uh, for the Nuggets and he grew up out there. So I could see why he would want to go play for Colorado among other reasons. Obviously, as I, I chuckled when I said that, but like their team's a wagon. So who wouldn't want to go play there? But it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And his teammate, Zach Wierenski, another great young defenseman. He basically is, he hasn't told the organization he doesn't want to play there, but it's being rumored that he'd like to go to Detroit 
I'm not sure why all these guys want to go play with their buddy and pull a full NBA, but he wants to go play with his childhood buddy, uh, Dylan Larkin, the captain up there in Detroit. And that would be a huge get for Detroit because they're in full rebuild mode right now with Steve Eiserman, one of the best general managers in the NHL. If you're a Tampa Bay Lightning fan right now, and you see what they did last year winning the Stanley Cup and they got a great shot to win another one this year, you got to thank Steve Eiserman because he was the man that orchestrated that all. Um, and if you're Julian Brisebois, I think is how you say it, their current GM, you're just so fucking happy. <laughs> and you basically, not that he didn't have a role in it because he was an assistant GM there and stuff, but you basically got handed a dynasty um, you know, after Stevie Y brought them back. It just just crazy. But that would be awesome for Detroit to get uh, Zach Wierenski and real bad, real, real, real bad for Columbus. But what can you do? I mean, Columbus, if you're not an Ohio State fan, there ain't shit to do there, so... It's, it's a nice city. It's like Pittsburgh, but cleaner is the way I usually describe it. But I'm not sure like a, a high-end NHLer wants to live in Columbus, Ohio. But Dave Chappelle lives there. so. <laughs> um, coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, the coach for uh, the men's basketball coach for Duke University, one of the most well-known basketball coaches of all time, uh, one of the most winningest basketball coaches of all time. Uh, he coached the United States Olympic team to a few gold medals. Um, just an outstanding coach, but honestly, and maybe I'm in the minority with this, but I think he's so unlikable and I don't know if it's him or it's just Duke. Like Duke to me is just so unlikable. They're just, just so annoying. Everything's Duke, Duke, Duke. We're the best. We're the best. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it pisses me off so bad. Cameron indoor stadium you can shove it like it just, but at any rate, I digress, but he's, he's retiring. Uh, Coach K is retiring, and he's already uh, – I don't know if they've handpicked. They said that they did a search, you know, a week-long search or whatever. But they John Shire, who used to play in uh, for Duke, uh, for Mike Krzyzewski as well, obviously. He's a young guy. I think he's got to be, like, probably in his 30s maybe. Uh, he was playing around the same time I was in college, and he's your typical Duke player. He's the guy that's just, like, he hustles hard. He's the gym class hero. He can play a little bit, but he wasn't shit in the association. He just couldn't do anything in the NBA. I don't even know if he ever played in the NBA. He's just one of those guys. It seems like Duke has a lot of them. Um, but at any rate, he's going to take over, and those are huge shoes to fill. So good luck to John Shire. I mean, that job obviously is awesome. He's been an assistant there under Mike Krzyzewski the last couple of years, and um, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. with you know Seeing Duke next year without Mike Krzyzewski on the sideline is going to be pretty weird to see. Um, seeing as how he's been there for so long. And he had like this retirement party. I didn't watch it, obviously. You can probably tell my disdain for Duke. But um, sorry to any Duke fans out there. But they had like this retirement party. And obviously now Coach K, and maybe that's why I thought he's a little bit unlikable. And one of the reasons why is like it seems like this whole year now is going to be like his retirement tour. And it's just like, it's so annoying. They had balloons. He's dancing. They were playing these terrible music. And it's just the most Duke thing I've ever seen. So, um, you know, obviously, great coach, hell of a career. So I will give a reluctant swig of beer for Mike Krzyzewski for a great career. But we'll see what happens in the next chapter of Duke University. Staying with basketball, but switching over to the NBA. I don't typically talk about the NBA too much because, quite frankly, I don't really watch it, especially in the regular season. It's quite boring to me. Um, the playoffs, I do like to watch, but 
for purposes of this podcast, I had to mention that LeBron James was eliminated in the first round of the playoffs for the first time in his career, which is pretty crazy. I mean, the guy's been in the league, I think, 18 years, and he was eliminated for the first time in the first round for the first time this year. And pretty crazy. I didn't watch too many of the games. Um, I do like the WVU boy, Javon Carter. He plays for the Phoenix Suns, and obviously Devin Booker is a stud. That team's got a bright future, and they put the hurting on uh, the L.A. Lakers. And, you know, Anthony Davis, I saw he was trotting out there. He could barely walk because he was injured. LeBron James really didn't uh, show up too much. And obviously, like, I thought that, like I said, I didn't watch the games, but I, I saw LeBron James' post-game press conference after they were eliminated. And admittedly, I didn't see the full thing. This may be taken out of context, but he said, you know, I didn't get a lot done against the Suns, so I'm going to try and you know see what I can do against the Monstars or the Toon Squad or whatever the hell it is because he's in uh, he, he's in the remake of Space Jam this summer. And it just looked like he didn't give a shit at all. And people were saying, ah, oh, well, last year when they won the title, that's tainted because it's they won it in a bubble and all that. Nah, it's like the same as the NHL. That's probably one of the hardest championships to win, being in that bubble and everything. And um, I've even seen LeBron say he had, he won't take his kids to Disney World because he never wants to go back to Orlando again. Uh, so <laughs> it must have been a pretty poor experience for the NBA players in that in that bubble and just being confined there. Um, and I can understand that, but. I thought that was funny what he said about Disney World. But, uh, you know, it's crazy. 18 years, finally got a first-round exit. You play long enough, somebody's bound to get you. So swig a beer for the Phoenix Suns. And I'm not sure exactly who they go on to play. Um, Again, I'm not an NBA guy, really. But it's probably similar to the NHL where I'm sure the NBA is not thrilled that LeBron James is not in the, um, you know, title hunt here. And we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. There's a lot of people that are complaining about that, that LeBron's not in it. Some of the other names aren't in it, like Curry, and they're not in it. And But then the other side of it, like I said, with the regular season and what I've said in past episodes, everybody always says, well, the NBA is a foregone conclusion. Why do they even play? So you can't have it both ways. I think it's good for the league to have some parity. And uh, I'll be tuning in a little bit more now, especially after I talk about this other thing that I saw on the NBA playoffs, and I don't know if this happened Sunday, the day I'm recording this, or if it was before, but my brother-in-law, Bobby, shot the Bobby. He sent it to me uh, today, and it was awesome. So everybody knows that listens to this podcast that I, I like professional wrestling. And Joel Embiid for the Philadelphia 76ers, he came to Wells Fargo Center. Now, before I say what I'm going to say, this will probably be the only time you'll see playoffs in the Wells Fargo Center for the next couple of years will be involving these 76ers because the Philadelphia Flyers really have no chance. But <laughs> uh, Joel Embiid, he came out. Now, I don't know. like I, I didn't see the context of it. Like He kind of got his own entrance, and it looked like a WWE entrance, and that's exactly what it was. He came out in D-Generation X gear, and um, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Triple H, Paul Levesque himself, the creator of D-Generation X back in the Attitude Era in the 90s came out with him in the DX gear. He had his the, he was throwing the X up and everything. It was so awesome to see. And he came out and he like rang the bell, whatever they do to get the crowd fired up there in Philadelphia for the Sixers games. And I just thought that was awesome. Like It was so cool to see Triple H out there. He was having a good time. I'm not sure if the fans really knew what was going on. It wasn't a full packed house, but I'm sure that's a COVID capacity thing. But it was pretty cool to see. So the NBA has got some great entertainment right now. But you know what they don't have? Good fucking jerseys. Can I talk about the worst jersey I've ever seen in my life? And like, it looked like a goddamn intramural team 
just full of stoners developed this. It it's like a circle. It's the Knicks jersey. Knicks have classic jerseys. They're regular jerseys. It's like a it's like a black jersey and it has a circle and it says New York in like orange letters, I think. And then in like white letters in the circle, it says City Never Sleeps. What the fuck is that? If I played on that team, I'd be like, I ain't fucking wearing that. That's the dumbest shit I've ever seen. Like some of these jerseys are just so bad, man. I, and I've seen other ones that are bad. Like I, I, I used to like the Miami Vice jerseys for the Heat. I don't really like them anymore. And it's just so many different jersey combinations. And some of them just look like I said. They look like intramural teams. They look like you're just playing pickup basketball. It's an absolute joke. It, some of the worst. And I know this is probably a rant you weren't expecting on the podcast. And one that's not that important. But I'm a jersey snob. And that is an absolute just joke of a jersey. City never sleeps. I wish I it, it, I would never pour out a Coors Light. But I should pour out a Coors Light for those jerseys. Because they should be dead. They're horrible. Just absolutely brutal. I had to put that out there. Um... Whoever designed those needs to go back to the drawing board. My God. Um, last couple notes this week. Um, I saw on the news, and I have no idea. I know the world's going to shit in many ways. But somebody out there paid $18,000 for an, a piece of invisible art. <laughs> I mean... I clicked on this fucking article and I'm like, this has to be just some stupid headline. That's just like a, you know, clickbait or whatever. No, this Italian artist apparently thinks it's art to just tell people there's a five by five feet piece of art right there in the corner where you can clearly see it's just air. There's nothing there. And some jackass jabroni moron spent $18,000 on it. The only tangible thing you get it's a certificate of authenticity that says you bought this piece of invisible art, you idiot, you moron. And the guy, the, the the fucking artist, he's like, yeah, you just have to make sure you have a space in your house that's five feet by five feet in order to take it. That was like his requirement. What? I need to get on this. I could be a millionaire. I'm just going to start selling air. <laughs> auctioning off air. And the guy even said, he's like, this isn't the first uh, piece I've made. This is my passion. Fuck you. 18 grand. Give me a break, man. This is just an absolute joke. What is happening? And why didn't I think of that before? What an unbelievable move that would be. You're just rolling in cash. <laughs> You're just selling air. I have no idea what's going on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just, it's crazy. Um, the only thing that's close to this crazy is that is Logan Paul tonight, as I'm recording this, he's fighting Floyd Mayweather in an ex- exhibition bout. I believe they're not going to have any winner announced. Um, obviously, if you know Logan Paul gets knocked out, you'll know he lost. But there's no winner or loser. It protects Floyd if something were to happen. I mean, my God, if something were to happen, that would just be a disaster for Floyd's image and his career. Um, I'm sure the boxing world hates this, but you know, as of the time I'm recording this right now, the fight hasn't started yet. It's in uh, Miami, I believe, or it might be. Yeah, I think it's in Miami at the uh, Dolphin Stadium. So we'll see how that plays out, and we'll talk about that next week. And 
Let's get rolling as these NHL playoff series wind down and we get closer to see who's going to lift Lord Stanley's Cup. Kick the shit out of this week. Have a great one. And remember, if I don't see you around here, I'll see you around here. Sit.